Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. I would say that we are now streaming live on YouTube. Yeah. What's happening, fellas? <sighs> Not much. Happy to have my live. yeah, happy to have my sound set up back. I'm sorry about last week. Uh, I I re-listened to what we did and realized that I ruined some of it. So <laughs> sorry, sorry to your eardrums, listeners. I didn't notice. I got a no, little. I didn't notice it the moment I got distorted. Amateur take- shit. That's us. <laughs> uh. uh it's 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast, 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast, 3.30 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. I realize that the reason that I've been saying that, and I've been forgetting to tell you why, it's because we do this live. If you'd like to come and listen to it, it's on the Aquarius uh. podcast channel. Uh, you can get in there and you click to get the notifications. It'll let you. Have you got Amigos from Spain, Montreal, Cincinnati, Israel. What's up? Reno. Awesome. Massachusetts. This is a good spread. It's pretty good. I don't mind that. Yeah, it's really good. It's a little uh, Northern Hemisphere heavy, but all right. Tough in the Southern Hemisphere right now. Yeah. Still winter. Yeah. Dark, dark morning. It's getting darker here too. What are we talking about today, fellas? Jake, why don't you go while I think of a topic? (laughs) Well, I... Have you got veggies? Uh, a little bit, actually. So a lot of times people complain at me that I don't share enough personal stuff in the podcast. And it's, you know, it's, it's, oh, I think we it's, don't a, want that. it's a derivation of that. I don't talk about my portfolio. And I think that then trickles into, you know, you don't share enough personal things. So uh, I have a little bit of a, a baseball story from this, this weekend uh, that I'm going to share that I, I will still manage to torture into uh, some kind of an investing <laughs> takeaway. Well, I got the veggies yes. this week. I yes. got uh, AQR value. Uh, is it cheap for a reason? Mm. Uh, you'll never guess the answer. <laughs> I see there's someone close to Roma, Queensland. How you doing? Go say hi to my uh, old primary school, middle school. Uh, is that the one school for that entire uh, state? No, there are a few. <laughs> for the state, no. Okay. No, there are a few. I think it was like 600. It's pretty. There was six thousand people in the town. A few surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. I'm going to riff on something. If I can turn myself into a factor, I'll, I'm going to be interested to have this conversation with you. Yeah, and I'm right. going to give a shout out to the homie Mike Mitchell, member of two boards, not one board, but two boards as of last week. Ah, all right. Share the story work. on Twitter. Uh, about how he had to enter into a forward purchase agreement to acquire more shares and locked himself up. So to the idiot that always claimed it was a pump and dump, you, sir, are a moron. <laughs> which, which It's honestly, a very elaborate pump and dump at this point. It yeah. really is. He's locked himself up and borrowed to buy more just to dump it down the road. It's very, <laughs> very smart. This is six-degree chess. Um. But it's an interesting thing of like when I was watching that guy say that I knew that Mike was going through all that trying to to get financing, which is part of why I got so mad at what, what was being said. 
And I would just like heavily, heavily encourage people that unless you're in the room, you have no idea what's going on. And even if you're in the room, you probably only have half, half an idea. So even if you're in your own head, like then you got like three quarters of an idea. You still don't that's right. know what's going on. Yeah. You guys want me to do, I'll do AQR, kick it off with the veggies, the value veggies. Still, um, this is this was in August 2021, and somehow it slipped by me. Or I saw the charts, and I didn't go and listen to the presentation, but I've rectified that now and listened to the presentation. So their question is: Are value stocks cheap for a reason? I see there's a comment. There's always this comment in here. What do you guys mean by value? As if this is so difficult to figure out. But look, when you when you when you look at cash flow divided by R minus G. Uh, you can rearrange that cash flow and price equals R minus G. Uh, the higher the R, the uh, the two equations have to work out on, on each side, right? So the higher the growth rate, the lower the CF figure is going to be. The higher the CF figure, the lower the R is going to be. That's basically the idea. Lower growth value stocks tend to be, you know, definitionally they are cheaper than uh, expensive glamour growth whatever it doesn't matter it's 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 done to death I, I know that i know that buffett says there's no difference between them but for practical purposes there is a little bit of a difference between them one has very high rates of growth and no cash flow the other one has lots of cash flow and low rates of growth that's the difference so the question is is it justified by is the uh, the big spread that we're currently observing is it justified by the rate of growth in the the growthy glamour stocks so far exceeding the rate of growth in the cheaper value stocks. And so AQR has done this analysis. Um, we're currently in the 90 plus percentile of spread um, for all regions globally. It's a little bit, it's come in a little bit in the States because we've had a run to value for the last 12 months. Emerging market large caps are as wide as they've ever been. So that's an interesting opportunity there. It's as broad now as it was in the dot-com bubble right at the very peak and in some measures. So when I pulled up, I pulled up the French data, which is uh, the FAMA French data when, when you have, uh, um, you know, they just divide it up by deciles, terciles, quintiles. You can go through and pull it apart yourself and, and, and check out what I'm saying. But basically the spread now is wider um, than it was at the dot-com peak, but that's largely driven by the fact that the glamour stuff is so expensive at the moment. It's really unusually expensive. But the question is, are the prospects for value stocks particularly poor? Like we all know the kind of stuff that goes into value. It'll, it'll be financials, it'll be energy, it'll be all that sort of stuff. And how would you, uh, does that sort of justify the spread? How would you um, otherwise justify the spread? It either indicates very high returns for value or very low rates of growth in the future. If you rearrange that identity that I said before, cash flow and price equals R minus G. And the analysis that they have done, they look at five-year forward earnings growth for both cohorts. And what they find is that the, the forward rates of growth uh, are actually, uh, the differential between the two is tighter now than it ordinarily is. So ordinarily, it's about a 4% differential. It's currently about a 2% differential in forward. You know, this is expected forecasted returns out five years. Five years is way too far in the future for anybody to be certain about this stuff. But this is what the um, the analysts expect, as I've shown. What do they define growth as? Earnings growth? This is EPS growth, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I actually think I wrote Cliff about this paper. What did you say? 
Well, I, I wrong. Said that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say wrong. I said that uh, the G in the equation is the amount that you can reinvest theoretically perpetually times your return on equity, right? So it's not, the R minus G is not really earnings growth in a theoretical sense, uh, to which he said, uh, I believe. Who are you? No, no. uh, To which he to which he said that I wasn't wrong, but I think for all practical purposes, the E works uh, for this. Here's the thing, though: the relationship between the reinvestment rate, the return on equity. So you can calculate like forward, like if you did an expected return type of calculation, you look at what proportion of earnings do you expect to be reinvested at what rate, and that would give you the active growth. That's the um, oh, I'm just blanking on his name, the professor. Uh, Greenwald, that's Greenwald's um, growth. That, that's the way Greenwald calculates growth. If you do that, you find that over a very long time, it does sort of start to look like the G, but it's very, very noisy in any short-term period. There's not much of a relationship I have found between the G sometimes, you know, because there's so many other factors in there. There's other factors besides the reinvestment rate and there's reinvestment. You don't really know how long it takes for that to pay off. It can take years for for the reinvestment to pay off. It's not as simple as reinvest over the course of this year, get a better return next year and so on. I thought it was heartening anyway. Like I'm trying to find any reason to break the thesis. Not really, not trying that hard, but uh, (laughs) I'm open to the possibility and I I want to at least know the argument, but it seems that it's just another more work by AQR showing that value is not dead. It's just you know, sometimes it runs backwards and it, and it might have been sleeping. working for the last 12 months. Just sleeping. Yeah, it's nailed to its perch. Can't, can't be dead. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I was thinking about this today in the car and just like conceptually. Um, there's so much money out there that it sort of makes sense to me why people are uh, attracted to the businesses that are going to be huge tomorrow or perceived to be huge tomorrow. And, you know, if that cycle goes on long enough, it makes sense to me why the sort of old world businesses, which is what I sort of assume value is, um, not necessarily true, but I think on average, it's probably true. They just kind of get forgotten. I think in a, in a market like this, I, I don't know. Um, it's like, it's hard to call somebody that's a client and be like, Hey, uh, just bought you some Lockheed Martin. <laughs> you know, I know that your friends are making money on zoom and Etsy and all this stuff, but like Lockheed Martin's where, where we're going to invest and you're going to pay me a fee to manage that. I just, you know, there's, that's a tough pitch. It's not a wrong pitch, but it's not the easiest pitch. There's institutional structural reasons why these opportunities tend to exist, I think. And that's one of them, you know, and even individual investors, like why would you go buy Lockheed Martin or tobacco stocks or whatever it is? Like there are other sexier things out there. The problem, as you point out though, these businesses are going to be huge in the future, have market capitalizations that are huge today. And it assumes that everything goes right. And then you probably get a return that might be sub market. Like the market at the moment is, is pretty fang heavy and there's lots of earnings and earnings growth in there. But I still think that, you know, it's, it's, it looks stretched. The forward returns are going to be lower. I mean, the thing that's really hard is, you know, you look at something like Altria, which I don't own at the moment, but uh, 
I don't know. I mean, you know, there's the, well, they kill their customers and that business is clearly dying and that's not great. Um, but, you know, on average, you don't want to kill your customers. But like, there's a pretty credible- <laughs> Yeah, there's a pretty credible Are you an ESG argument. wizard? or oh, I like the way you said on average. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, there's probably some business that it's okay as long as you get a lot. Anyway, uh, you know, gross profit is probably going to grow for the next three years here. Um, I don't know. Like, at what point does the business go to zero? I have no idea. I know people have been saying it's going to zero for now 20 years, and eventually it will. Um, do you but think it, that, that nobody's the, interested in it? Does the vaping <clears throat> does that sort of save them? Is it just the combustibles that? I think long long term, I think nicotine pouches are what save them. I have a general theory that all this health trend has nothing to do with people not wanting to do drugs. It just makes them want to do drugs in a healthier way. And I think a nicotine pouch is the answer to the nicotine problem. What's a nicotine pouch? They're these pouches and you can throw them in your mouth. And oh, it's uh, the one that it's already, it's sealed up in the little. It's yeah, but it's, the, it's no tobacco at all. And there's like, there's no, I don't believe it? there's, it's just straight nicotine, man. <laughs> my degenerate friends do it and I've done it twice and I don't like it at all. I can't Have they tried legs. caffeine? I don't Doesn't think. Doesn't caffeine it, achieve the same, same end? I, I, nicotine is not something that I can speak to, uh, and nor do I ever want to be able to, but uh, to them, it's a better drug. How'd you feel? Did it make you all like jittery? I couldn't swing a golf club, man. I don't, I don't like it. I don't yeah. like it. Maybe you feel like another one. My it's knees perfect. went weak. I was like, I don't like this stuff. So Mom's spaghetti. Yeah, it's not my thing. Plus of all the habits in the world that I could introduce to my life, that's not the one I'm trying to do. Yeah, uh, I, keep, I do let's have keep our vices under control a little here. That's right. Yes, uh, I've got plenty of plenty of uh, I'm smart oh. enough to avoid that. All right, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fellas. Let's, so uh, I don't know. Right. But like I so I, I think that that's an example of what I what I associate to be like a quality value stock, you know, and, and it's true that the equity is probably not going to grow. And in an equity game, uh, you know, I don't, do you want to buy things where the equity is shrinking? I think like intuitively the answer is no, but the answer is how much cash do I get back out of my equity? That's the real question uh, that should matter. And I'm not convinced on something like Altria or Philip Morris, you end up not getting your money back. I think it's beefy capital, got, do. beefy capital has got some good uh, scuttlebutt for us. There's no shortage of demand for nicotine step on any college campus and you'll find half a jewel for every student. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't believe that. I don't, I, whatever. I digress. This all sounds like the same argument that's always existed, though, of terminal value problem growth problem cash flow not, today but you can't see a future where it's going to increase somehow i mean that's just you can't have everything and the and the bargain price right yeah well that's a good point well i think facebook is a good example of something that is not you know an old world company but facebook to me feels like the new nicotine uh all these all the potential regulations and stuff like 
I don't know if people want if if people want to put the um responsibility of of policing those platforms to Facebook, then I have a high degree of confidence that no one will ever be able to build another social media site. What do you think about these reports though that you see pop up periodically where they talk about how like gamed the whole programmatic advertising world is and that like it might be all a bunch of bullshit and therefore you're you know it's like at least the the cigarette like the the user is who buys it is is feel some benefit from it uh, even if there's a long-term cost but if you're an advertiser which is their real customer it's not you the user right but if there's they can't prove or uh you know at least uh it starts to yeah, if it starts to become proven that there's not getting that traction that that they are expecting from all these ad dollars, then like that's a real problem, isn't it? Yeah, but what I forget what the citation was uh, last week when when Facebook's uh, apps went down. What that one guy said, uh, e-commerce sales declined. I mean, here's the thing: I I don't think it would be hard to prove to me that targeted advertisements on Facebook and YouTube are not better than television. Uh, and like a lot of people, if you ask them about their experience on Instagram, they enjoy the ads. Like that's a common thing that people say. I have found the ads like highly relevant. Um, Twitter's less so. Um, so I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm not sure what the better alternative is, even if some of these numbers are not perfect. Uh, I still think they're probably directionally closer to accurate than not. So they've got an idea about the clicks. Isn't that like the issue with that, the, the news media company that's just sort of had the stumble that, that startup, I'm just blanking on the name again at the moment, but they had, they'd been using that really junk traffic. Apparently there's a Aussie trick with or something like that. Aussie. Yeah. That's an, Aussie. Yeah. That's possible. Hey, why you got to go to Australia? Yeah, I think it's Ozzy why, but some, yeah. some one of those that they were using this sort of traffic thing, which pulled up a, a hidden page in a browser, and so that was that then counted as a click. You know, mm. advertisers don't like that, evidently. Well, no, that's the that whole thing right. is the it's like click farms and fake followers and all kinds of this machinery behind it to make it look as if you are actually reaching a customer, but you're not. You would think that Facebook could could show pretty easily. Like they have the they have each they've each profile, and you've got to have an idea whether a profile's real or not, haven't they? Yeah, but maybe I mean, it's they, to their advantage. Maybe they don't want to know. Yeah, right? That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I still think it's better than the alternative, but I do agree it's probably not as good. I their stats probably overinflate how good they are at advertising. When you hear stories about like big companies like totally slashing their social budgets and like seeing no change in <laughs> revenue, it's like, oh, that's kind of not a good sign, right? You take $300 million out of your social budget and there's no <laughs> noticeable change. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I, don't, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder how often those headlines are real and how often it's like, they're coming out in the middle of some like social scandal and CEOs feel a need to pontificate about any issue that's political now. So they make a statement and then they backtrack it and nobody actually goes back and says, Hey, did they follow through on this? Cause nobody cares anymore. That's Cause fair. the news cycle changed. That's a good point. 
I, I feel like they like pull back and then see if there's a change. And then if there is a change and they just lean back in yeah. and then they just don't like announce that they lean back in. There's also the, uh, you know, everybody's getting more sophisticated at, at marketing through those channels. And so it's much more competitive than it used to be. Everything gets, the keywords get bid up to very expensive levels because now people have got an idea how much money they can make. So, you know, their customer acquisition costs, they've got a better idea what they can afford. They spend more money. They A-B test it so it's just razor sharp and then they're spending lots of money, but then so is everybody else. Everybody's standing on their tippy toes of the parade. They're like, well, we're spending so much money and we're really, really good at this and the return is lower than it used to be. It must be fake clicks. Yeah. Yeah, there's fake news about fake clicks. Except for YouTube. YouTube's the best. Please monetize us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please don't take it away, daddy. That's right. Well, Jake, you want to go? Sure. Um, so this is, uh, like I said at the intro, that there's a lot of sometimes people complaining that I don't share personal things, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but so this weekend, um, you know, I, I have a, my, both of my boys are pretty heavy into sports and, you know, we're in the middle of the soccer and fall baseball season. And uh, so <clears throat> on Saturday we played, uh, and I, I, so I coach my older sons. I'm one of the coaches on one of my, the older sons, uh, baseball team. And which is amazing, by the way, like I get to spend so much quality time with him and about something that he cares about. Um, and it's, and I enjoy it as well. Um, so it's really, it's a true blessing to be able to do it, but <clears throat> we, we had a double head, we were in a tournament, right. And just to set a little bit of the context, like we, our team is sort of a neighborhood team that was like taken out of little league because we liked the families and we liked all the people uh, and the kids. And, and then we've just basically, it's sort of invite only just this little group that is our team. Uh, but we play in tournaments and it's a travel ball, quote unquote situation, uh, very competitive where we play teams that are like academies and tryout teams where they'll, you know, they'll just take a, uh, you know, hundred mile radius and t take the 12 largest 13 year olds. Right. And like, these are kids who hit puberty two years ago and they're six, two, you know, two ten, uh, like strapping young men already. And we got all these little kids still basically. Uh, but that's just, you know, that's, that's, that's the competitive world that is travel baseball. Um, so anyway, we are uh, in a tournament this weekend and Saturday we ended up winning both games and getting a pretty good seating, uh, which I was pleasantly surprised with. And um, so we show up Sunday and it's in the fourth inning and our starting pitchers cruising and we're up like five to one and then six to two into like the fifth inning. Like that's a, we're playing pretty good baseball. And we could kind of tell like the boys started to relax a little bit. Like, Oh, mm. we've already got this one. We're looking to the next game already. Um, and the baseball gods do not smile kindly upon that kind of uh, disrespect. And we end up losing the game 10 to six. Oh. Um, and it was just a brutal loss and it was a lot of mental mistakes and, you know, little things like, not knowing where the play is going to be, right? Like, so that's a huge part of baseball. Baseball is a little bit like war in that it is like hours of boredom followed by sh little moments of panic, right? Like you're, you could sit out in right field for three innings and not have a ball come within 200 yards of you. 
and then the ball could get hit to you all of a sudden, and you got to know exactly what you're going to be doing. So you have to stay mentally locked in right on every single pitch. Uh, but when you get up and you, you're kind of cruising, that's where you let off a little bit is mentally. And so we, you know, we had guys overthrowing the cutoff guy on a hit and then that the guy gets an extra base and now double play is not in order. And it's like, it's a million little things that sort of break down and turn into that kind of loss. And uh, just a real, real painful as a coach and as a dad to, to watch the, the meltdown and not be able to really do anything to stop it. Um, so anyway, like where this comes in from an investment standpoint is like, I think there's a lot of people who are up six to two in the investment game right now. And whatever inning it is, they might've turned off a little bit of some of the the little things that they should be doing to keep their head in the game. And they kind of feel like they've already got this one won, and they're sort of looking to the next game and salting it away here. Um, I would just caution that you can't ever really let up in that way and that you have to keep your, like the next ball might be getting hit at you at any time. And if you don't pre-plan on what you're going to do when that happens, where you're going to throw the ball, depending on where it's hit um, all of these little things like, that we've talked about before about having a uh, Ulysses contracts with yourself, as far as, you know, if something gets to a certain price, I want to buy it or I'll sell it at this price. Um, I know that selling is a taboo word now, but um, that's where you, that's where you went wrong. That's where you went wrong. Selling it at that price. Selling it at an unreasonably high price uh, is the worst thing you could ever imagine. Um, But anyway, like I think the, 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 the translation to me is like, boy, if you get, if you get complacent, like, the the baseball gods and probably the the market and business gods will will remind you of that you <laughs> that you're misstepping there. It was pretty. The baseball gods and the market gods know each other pretty well. They're homies for sure. They're looking for looking at for reasons to punish you for complacency. Yeah, and they're looking to add some humility to your to your life. This it, reminds it, me a lot of my segment last week. It does. That's what I like. That's I, kind I'm always tying of, it together. It's kind of like what I was saying a little bit uh, with, you know, how I messed up. I think um, I think I got a little lax on some stuff. Sure. So our our underwriting of risks can become lax. Our underwriting of expected growth or multiple or um, exit multiple could be can uh, start to get lax and you you could talk yourself into some stuff. That's just the way that this works. Adjusted EBITDA exit multiples, those are the best. <laughs> They're always high. Yeah, good account. You also have the problem where, you know, when you're, when you're at the start of a cycle, whatever the cycle might be, so we've had a pretty good run to tech from like 2015 to date, right? At the start of that cycle, I, I ran back the other day and had a look at Microsoft uh, in 2000, and I think it was, I might be a little bit wrong on the day of this. It might have been, I can't remember if it was a five-year or a 10-year, but so let's say 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you bought it on like an, uh, it was a nine times free cash flow multiple. So it was like an 11% free cash flow yield and then run it forward 10 years. And the, the earnings have done really well. And the stock has done uh, even better because the, the multiple has expanded five or six times over that, over that 10-year period, say. But if you're, you know, if, if you're getting the, the, if the dopamine receptors are, are getting pleasure from finding those kind of opportunities where 
you know, it, it's going to be high rates of revenue growth, high rates of earning, lots of free cash flow, reinvestment at a high rate. And it just gets, you know, every time you buy it, it just goes up. That's how you get a little bit complacent. And the same thing happened to me in a value context, probably 2015, uh, as I as I talk about every single month, I guess, where Jake pointed out that the spread was very, very tight. And uh, that would have probably been a good time to go and buy some of those techier stocks and didn't do that stuck in the uh in the in the dog shit deep valley we're all just learning well, toby it's okay we'll, we'll get the next lessons. one i've had <laughs> enough lessons it never ends it never ends the lesson can go on for much longer than you want it to this sir this is true Try not the, to relearn them. That's the that's the ticket. Uh, that's imp- yeah. That's that. It would be. I would be happy just to do that, not to relearn the same lesson over and over again. Ha- haven't figured out how to achieve that yet, but at no. some point, some maturity maybe. You have you have you come up with anything, BB? I've got yeah. A question. Well, dude, I was just real quick because you you turned yourself quant. So I'm curious your thoughts on this. I mean, I've just been thinking a little bit. Um, you know, so, um, my wife has not loved the volatility. She liked it on the upside, the downside vol she'd prefer to avoid. Um, mm, and I, and I have, uh, it, it hasn't really phased me all that much. Um, but, uh, her being phased has phased me. So I'm trying to think about whether or not there's a way to like recreate myself through an ETF for some of my capital so that it's like, okay, well, even if I capture 85% of what I believe in, if I, if I put like 60% into that strategy, I can still toy around with 40. Right. And by toy, I don't mean like just do nothing and, and treat it like nothing. Right. But like really try to outperform. And also, you know, frankly, through the, the podcast, like, um, you know, I'm meeting a lot of interesting people that are doing things that aren't necessarily in public markets. And I kind of want to allocate a little bit to that, whether it's real estate or whether or not it's, it's private market stuff. And I was talking to Meb about a little bit about what, uh, what he's done in the private markets and it's cool. Right. So I just kind of wonder, uh, how, like how you would think about going about building a strategy for yourself. I know you did it. Um, but, you know, just kind of like what your decision was on that, because it's something that I've spent a fair amount of time thinking about over the last two weeks. And I'm coming to the conclusion that it probably makes some sense for some stuff. For instance, I have like no exposure to emerging market value right now. If any quant is correct, that's an insanely good place to at least have some exposure to. Like, I'm not going to go dig through emerging market value companies and pick a specific company. So maybe the answer is, okay, well, I take a slug and I just allocate that slug to that particular um, bet. And I I guess that uh, just to wrap up the thought, the pushback that has come back that I think is valid is like, well, you know, if you want to do that, fine, but... um, it's better to look for quality companies or something. I don't disagree with that. Okay. But I think that if you're intellectually honest about what's gone on with US centric returns, and if you're running a US book 
you got to at least acknowledge that a lot of your return is a function of the market return. So like hedging some of that exposure seems moderately prudent given where we appear to maybe be. Uh, doesn't have to be huge. Don't have to call a crash. Don't have to do any of that. It's just something that I'm thinking about and I'm like, okay, there's data and, uh, you know, ignoring the data has been a perilous activity in my past. So I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how to potentially implement some of the smart thoughts that I've had that have crossed my, uh, my brain. So there's a little bit of research on this that's uh, in Kahneman's new book, Noise, where he, he talks about how if you can, a, a model of yourself is, has the potential of outperforming you, idiosyncratic you. And a lot of it is because it reduces the noise, what he would call occasion noise, which is like what version of you is showing up today to sort of make the decisions. Um, and so that's, there, there is some logic behind all that. And Toby is probably will speak even more intelligently about it. Well, there's two, there's two things, right? There's a research process, which is what has worked historically and what are the reasons why it has worked. And you, you know, their value as a factor or that's priced a book specifically or, or value more broadly as like any of those ratios. Um, this is not talking about the Buffett calculation of intrinsic value, which is weighing the growth rate and so on and doing that sort of work. I'm just putting that to the side for a moment, but there's no reason why you couldn't do it that way too. You know, uh, bind in growth to your valuation. You could easily, like that's a trivial exercise to, to go and do all of these have your computer go and do all these valuations for you. And then you have other factors that you know that are work, like quality as a factor has worked, which just makes complete sense. I mean, what at what that's like a return on assets. At what rate are the earnings being transformed into cash flow? You know, it, all of that all of that is is simple enough to do. And then the advantage of having done all of that is that, as Jake points out, when you go to implement it it's being implemented consistently over time. And the problem is that there's, it's enormously noisy. You know, there's, there are periods of time when um, you just feel like everything that you do, even following a program that is pretty well researched, you know, everything goes backwards, which has been the experience for value guys for 10 years. Um, uh, and, you know, more painfully, particularly over the last five and over the last sort of three, excluding the last 12 months, which has been a little bit better. So that's, that's, that would be the process. You just decide what you want to do. So you could build a, um, you know, I, I see Mike Mitchell's in the, in the comments here. You could build ah, a shout out to Mike, Mike Mitchell, which might be, which might be like a, I could just go singularly long a lumber company and have the Mike <laughs> Mitchell factor exposure, but I'm going to avoid that one. It's any mix, right? You can do it with, you could say, I need activist involvement. I need, you know, this kind of valuation. There's, you can do it any way that you want and, and you just test that and then you can implement that and do that pretty strictly. If you're looking overseas to implement this thing in an, in an uh, uh, emerging markets type, that those, those already exist. Per Perth Toll has the freedom. ETF always give a shout out to Perth. Uh, that's not value, but it's... Um, it's uh, it's EM excluding China. And I think that a lot of the China, a lot of the EM issues at the moment are probably China related. Like when you can look at Alibaba, for example, I see there are questions about Alibaba in here too. Um, 
people can't stop asking us about Alibaba as if something happened over the last three weeks that well, we Munger got bought some. That was like insight. literally. Didn't we like literally come off in the first Twitter? So it was Munger's re-upped on on Baba. Yeah, so we should talk I mean, about that a little bit. Well, why would Charlie change his opinion on China over some stock movement? There, there was some suggestion that he'd sold out of the position. I don't know where that came from. That, that was a remedy he sold out. These people don't know shit. Unless you're in the room, you don't know. They're like, don't speculate. That's it would be unusual for him to reverse course like that that quickly, right? Yeah. Unless Charlie himself gets on CNBC and says, I have sold Alibaba. I don't believe anything that anybody says. I'd call fake news on financial rumors. I was trying to remember, has there been a, I don't remember a time where he's doubled down on something before. Oh, I'm sure there's been times they were buying. I mean, like blue chip stamps. I'm sure okay, he bought into multiple times. All right, times. let me re- let me reframe that. Uh, in that public run portfolio, that where we get to see what he's doing in kind of real time. I don't recall him ever doubling down in Daily Journal's portfolio. Uh, Is he like West one? Co. He takes one shot. He just hooves it all up, and then he doesn't do anything with it. Then he goes back to architecture and whatever else. Well, dude, to be fair, that's because he's usually bottom ticking stuff. Charlie's not used to buying and having it go down. I do think (laughs) it's hilarious that the Daily Journal shareholder base once thought that they were long a uh, company that was transitioning into a digital uh, court filing system. And now they're like super long Alibaba. <laughs> you get shareholder loss, lawsuits if you were just about anybody else, I think. Uh, yeah, but he's you know Charlie Munger. Company. Yeah. Look, man, you got into if you got into Daily Journal, you knew Charlie would do whatever the hell he wanted. That was part of the deal. Uh, you, you get to live with it, and it may work, it may not, but you can't blame anybody but you. James T's brought up the great Charlie Munger story where it's the middle of the financial crisis and he's done nothing with all of the cash for years and years. And he like literally has to pull over on the side of the 405 to phone in his, his trade. Like the, the, it, he must feel it, right? There must be a little bit of FOMO there. If you, you can't wait until you get back to the desk, got to do it now. You know, the only reason that I don't believe that story. Is it not true? I, I'm just telling you why I don't believe it. If you're on the 405, you're already stopped. <laughs> you can't yeah. pull over anywhere on the floor. You don't need to pull over. <laughs> the math doesn't check out on this story. Yeah, it's just not. I don't buy it. I want to know what time of day it was. Yeah, I got a broker, fair. though, too, right? So it's not like he's in there no, placing I'm trades sure. on. I just always thought Schwab that, that account. was funny. I've, I've always <laughs> been like, nah, the 405, he was already stopped. He just dialed the phone. Got mad love for LA, though. Don't love <laughs> driving sad. around it, but I do love LA. It was great it was in the dip, depths of the pandemic when everybody was doing the cannonball runs from East Coast to West Coast. Oh, yeah. You, you, there are all of these, every, every person who's grown up in LA has these like theoretical times where you could get, you could get from like somewhere <laughs> to somewhere in, you know, like an hour. And then that, the only time that you can really do that is like Christmas Eve, at like three or 3 Christmas morning at 3 a.m. Yeah, you could do it. That's the only time of the year you can do it. It's purely theoretical. Every other time it's like three times at three hours. I'll tell you what was crazy, man. I drove uh, PCH back from Malibu up to LA. There's a lot of boats in the water, enough to create an oil leak, apparently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
It's wild looking out there. It's like, well, there's all our goods. I I tweeted that chart out a few weeks ago. That is a scary chart showing the, like it's still at the exponential vertical part of the curve with all of the boats stacking up out here. Yeah. I don't know how that gets resolved. Like they're talking about the the end of 2023 to resolve that. Mm -hmm. That's like if everything goes well. Didn't Krugman yeah. say we should sink all those boats so we can get all that GDP when we recreate all that stuff? I like it. Wow. Good idea. Makes sense. The math checks out. The math does check out. Poor Dollar Tree would be like, what do we do? That's how you build real wealth. That is. Uh, Flip it to you, the Fed. You guys want to do some oil? You guys got any views on oil yet? No. I, I, I never will. Ever. <laughs> You're gonna be like when you when you seems like it's you been call. going up. Yeah, almost that, as as if, uh, you know supply and demand might move around a little bit occasionally, and price could change on things, and maybe you shouldn't get too wedded to the future. <laughs> to what extent? I'll uh, tell you an idea. I'd be open to refineries. I would be open to refineries. Uh, but I don't know how to predict crack spreads and yeah, how to normalize that shit. Like I, I, just, I don't know. Sides. It's a shitty business. Yeah, but they're not making any more. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't that, know. That's the part that I kind of like about it. I mean, it's like going to be super capital starved, and I don't think our need for oil is going away anytime soon. So that is a weird business front. It definitely has a moat, but it's got no pricing power. Yeah, you're just taking it on both sides. But I guess you got to. Uh, I guess you got to like hedge that out. You could never build a lock refiner. in your spread. Maybe in Texas, but nowhere else in the. I don't US. think it's worth the money, man. I don't think you get a good return. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's my thoughts on oil. Mm. To what extent does OPEC actually control anything? Is that like they make the noise, but is that. Does it do anything? Nobody knows. I, just, I have no yeah. idea. Speculate. This is I a do, podcast. I do like uh, Munger's thoughts that he's been saying now for like 20 years that we should probably be saving a lot of this stuff for future generations to use in as chemical feedstocks, fertilizer, uh, plastics, all the other stuff that we're going to want to build the future and not so much to like uh, so that you can go to the grocery store or whatever. <laughs> like, he was like, send Plastics. them paper and, and, and get the oil in and, and save the oil up here. That was his, his argument, right? It's a, he says it's like one of the greatest resources that we have as humanity, and then we should probably try to save it for future humans and not just be as selfish. But he's always been a guy who's willing to take some pain now for future gain, potentially. And I, res I respect that. Is is the US still the Saudi Arabia of gas? What well, I think the reason I think the reason that we have all sure. that gas is the is the gassy wells in the Permian that they were when they were fracking, a lot of gas was coming out. So now that there's less fracking activity, there's less gas being released from the wells. I believe. Is I suspect all... we still have the gas and just, <laughs> just don't just think not, we're letting the gas out of the ground. Yeah. So what about what about Baba? Let's let's speculate on Baba. Where are we at on that? Now that Munger's back in, we know that he's doubled up. Now it's a good idea again. Oh, okay, cool. Is uh, everybody it's up into, 10 the, or 15 into the pool? Back into the pool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Sure. Turns out it's just Chico roll. I mean, I chico roll. No, is that Australian? 
I guess you got to buy it. The Aussies will enjoy that joke. You got to buy it. My portfolio has none. What's the correct weighting? Was it like a 7% weighting or 15%? Don't, don't listen to that. I'm totally joking. I've got no idea. How, how, much does, how much does Munger own in the portfolio now? It's in Daily Journal. Like It's an insignificant portion of his wealth. What is it proportionate to DJ Co? Who gives a shit? DJ Co is nothing relative to his wealth. So who cares how much it is relative to DJ Co? No, come on now. He's got a fiduciary responsibility to to run DJ Co. I'm sure he's not trying to lose money. I'm just saying I wouldn't look at the portfolio weighting in Daily Journal and then in, and then in some way, shape, or form say, okay, well, that's Charlie's look-through weighting. Like, no, that's not no, at all the tr- truth. But for the portfolio, he's got to treat the portfolio as if it's the, the correct weighting for the portfolio. No, he doesn't. He has never rebalanced Wells Fargo once. Like, he doesn't treat that portfolio like it's some theoretically oh, correct thing. That's fair. I mean, it's not, not that it's theoretically He's like, hasn't correct, touched just... Bank of America since he bought. He just buys cheap stuff and lets it sit and compound. Yeah. Lunacy. Does he, he does this, you know, how this stuff is done. You got to trade yeah. it all the time. You got to churn that puppy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just don't, I don't. I don't know. I just don't think he runs portfolios like people think portfolios should be run, which is why he has extremely good results, right? To do to get different results, you have to act differently. It's not it's not a some crazy statement. It's just very few people are willing to do it. Well, f- few people have the uh, leash to do it in that kind of way, right? I mean, it's and just, the fortitude, man, and the it's fortitude. Not, it's not that easy emotionally. Do you guys want to have it? Someone's asked a question about uh, Uber. I've, I've, I like Uber as a, I like that business. And there's certainly that the, I've noticed that the pricing has gone up pretty. I mean, it, it's, there's no competition between Uber and Lyft, right? Like Lyft just doesn't have any cars anymore. Uber's got all the cars. Is that right? Well, is, is that an we, LA thing? Could be an LA thing. Yeah. When I go to use the app, there's just no Lyft drivers around. And I, I always thought Uber and Lyft drivers were the same car. They just sort of switch over to see which one's got the best rate yeah, at that time. Best rate, yeah. But I like Uber as a business. I just, you know, it's distributed. Um, taxis have been a great, you know, taxi medallions, taxis have been a great business for years and years and years. I think Uber's just sort of stepped in and taken all of that business in one go. I don't know what, I don't know about the price. I haven't looked at the valuation. I've got no idea. I'm sort of just talking about the business. Is that an LA bias? Someone said an LA bias. I don't know. I would, I would I would like there to be I try to use Lyft every time I can because I want there to be a good competitor to Uber. Mm. I mean, Lyft I, I like icons, but he's in Lyft, right? But he was in Lyft yeah. like five years ago, seven years ago. He got it cheap. I like the idea as from a human species standpoint of better resource utilization, right? Like instead of having cars that we drive. 5% of the time and they sit 95% of the time rotting away. Um, I like that's, that's probably a good thing. And however we need to do to coordinate that is, I think is pretty cool. Uh, I don't, I don't know if the economics totally work on a unit basis at this point, like these prices we'll see. Um, and maybe it starts, it probably looks a lot less competitive as you increase the price, obviously. Um, compared to the, the trade-off of convenience of just having your own car versus Ubering everywhere. Third I mean, point owns it. 
What, what are they in? Lyft Uber. 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 Who cares? Oh, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> you say, who cares? There's no Marty Whitman there anymore. It's oh, sorry. I'm. I'm oh, that's Loeb. Third right? Avenue. Yeah, Loeb. Yeah. I'm. I'm kidding. I know Dan listens. He's. I know he's a big fan. I, we yeah. Shout it. out to you, Dan. What up? You the man. He's a yogi these days. Yeah, Toby's surfing with him. When the, he's not rage. listening. <laughs> yeah, that's the third point. Gee, that was a bad mistake. Ah, that, he I mean, owns uh, Restoration Hardware. I shouldn't have looked at his portfolio. Now I got triggered. <laughs> it sucks. What's his Good cost you, basis Dan. on that? I'm not looking anymore. I don't want to see it. <laughs> what about uh, when we finally get when everybody gets an electric car? So the two questions are: electric, self, fully self-driving electric cars. And who, who owns all the fully self? Is it Waymo? Is it Tesla? Is it uh, This is Alibaba? so far away. So well, why not? far away. Why not? Dude, I'm looking forward to when I get my... It's a self-flying car. I, I, I'm, I'd be happy not to own that. I, I'll just like click my app, send me my self, self-flying car to yeah. where I need to go. That sounds great. Full Jetsons. I don't know, man. I'm an old man. I want like a 69 Chevelle. I want it to smell like a boat. Four fifty four, three ninety six. What are you going? Uh, I don't know. I I think uh, I think the four fifty four is like more. Uh, can't, can't handle that much power, probably. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably not. I I have a feeling that those bigger engines are like what people like, but then the smaller engines actually drive better. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I feel like this is. Oh, sorry. I thought you were subtexting something else. <laughs> I was. I was. I'm basically just trying to run cover for myself. Okay. Why has nobody taken, uh, like, you know, the, the approach? So Rivian is another EV maker. They've got, two, they've got a skate and they can stick two different types of chassis on the skate. They've got like a, one that looks like a SUV and another one looks more like a truck. And so why has nobody taken any of those classic old designs and you know, I don't know, modify it enough so. Um, yeah, like an EV they resto will. mod for a Chevelle yeah. or something. Yeah, It'd be, yeah. It'd be all right. It'd be kind of weak to hop in a Chevelle and just. Like, you, you yeah, the, that's right. We'll get the. You, uh, get you get a radio, like you get the engine sound. Tune. Yeah, it'll just be like come out of the speakers. Yeah, rum, that rum, sucks. Rum. Sucks. <laughs> like a, a the vibration in the seat, like as if your engine was rumbling. <laughs> Yeah, I had a 71 Cutlass once, and uh, whenever I would get out of that thing, I smelled like gasoline. It, it, yeah, it was awesome. I really liked it. My wife liked it, too. I, I think we're still going to be consuming a lot of oil, particularly when we're making electric cars, right? Because there's a lot of plastic and a lot of other things that go into them. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to keep driving a gasoline mining. car because I don't want to support child labor for rare earth Miners, but you know, if you want to kill children in foreign countries and say you're better than me, do it. There's no rare earth minerals in pretend you're regular cars. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Be your BESG and uh, just outsource all that to other countries, huh? Sorry, Toby, how's, I'm making smart ass comments. How's your peloton? Wrote it yesterday, actually. Looked in the mirror, thought, boy, you're fat, and then wrote it more. <laughs> <laughs> So you should put a mirror in your kitchen. I don't know if a mirror near the Peloton is going to help. Dude, it didn't help me yesterday. I'll tell you that. It got me depressed. Are you still using it as regularly as you were when you first got it? 
No, um, but I I do think that their app has very good um, workouts. I think it's also, uh, I think I think you could probably replicate it with YouTube, um, but. I do think that there's something to be said for a merchandise package product that they have. Um, they like still- I've used the, I've used the app at the gym and then I used it to ride the bike the other day. And then I call myself fat and then I cry and then I get over it. And then I eat Is chocolate. It 30 bucks a month for the, I think it's 40 now. 40 for the app. Yeah. yeah for the, yeah. For the full app. <sighs> Found your inflation. Yeah, well, it's still the, only, the episodes are only I mean, twenty five minutes long now too. They used to be thirty. <laughs> Shrinkage of Shrink the product. Damn it! I just take two. I need Alex Toussaint in my life. Uh, but but I, that, I do like it. I just I don't know. It, it's uh you know it's not as exciting as it was when I got it. It's not not too hard to fathom. What's to stop somebody who's you know reasonably attractive with some like lighting and a camera just from like broadcasting it on youtube and saying uh it's you know subscribe to my channel it's free like doing what we're doing oh i think they do is that what we're doing <laughs> yeah not, more not or less. A, i'm on a peloton you're not you're not riding your peloton. Uh, same reasonably attractive <laughs> <laughs> I, see I take my shirt off i'll yeah. ruin all our views yeah that, that's yeah. definitely demonetizing this is this is a show more for radio than for yeah than for, for tv for sure although we did win the best hair division for three-man value podcasts so that's did we yeah, yeah. where was Something. that you, you, you didn't, you <laughs> didn't get your up. plug from youtube no my hair doesn't look very good lately i was looking at a. I had a i interviewed this guy mark gilbert from moses kagan's um conference and i was like i i look awful awful but mark is super interesting that dude is a must follow on the twitter machine what's the uh, what's the pitch what's what's mark's story Oh man, he, he does wild stuff. Um, like he doesn't mind buying, he, he took over a gas station that had environmental problems, like environmental liabilities, assume the liens. He's got a cleanup plan. Uh, he's gonna, you know, like develop it. I guess you can't put apartments on the first floor, but you can put parking on the first floor and then lift the structure above it. So you can have apartments on the second floor. Uh, I asked him, do you have to disclose that you're on top of of gasoline to which he said, no, you don't. And I said, yeah, why would you? Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, Well, he's in New Jersey. Um, But yeah, he's just, he's like a very New Jersey specific investor. He doesn't uh, limit himself to one asset class, but he does focus on a geography and dude loves living in litigation. Like I, I think, uh, I think he does stuff that sounds like absolute hell, but if you're interested in like asset specific alpha, that guy generates it. I said to you guys, I don't think there's any environment that he would lose money in any. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, he's a uh, couple guys you meet and you're like, that dude knows how to make money. He's one of them. Nice. Uh, do you guys have any uh, thoughts on FedEx? They have planes and uh, the paper got an initial F. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I no, I looked at it. I looked at FedEx a while ago. I I don't. I I would not get interested in FedEx here. Is that almost like a thematic play? Like you think because it's, I I had this thought a few years ago where I was like everybody's you know everybody's got boxes piled up outside their front door. They're all Amazon boxes, but they're 
being delivered by just about everybody. Maybe go and take a look at FedEx. And I think I decided not to do it at the time, but it's run up a lot since then. I mean, look, you're just constantly investing in equipment. And I got kind of interested in it when they um, they closed on this European acquisition and then they had this huge cybersecurity breach uh, that like really messed up their integrations. I kind of, I was intrigued then. Um, but like here, I don't know, what's my variant perception that people are going to order more boxes? Like uh, there's better places to play. If FedEx is my best idea, I should just get a factor to, I should just ETF my whole portfolio and be done. I'm not working hard enough. Uh, Wabuffo says Barber is probably 12 to 13% of the DJ code portfolio after the most recent purchase, $360 million roughly. Oh, sorry. That's the whole portfolio. Barber's 44.7. Of the portfolio? Yeah. 12 to 13%. Sounds about right. So yeah. So like how much, how much does Charlie own of daily journal? I don't know. Somebody should do Charlie's look through ownership on Baba, but then you got to know his Lilu position too, which I'm sure Lilu has a fairly large Baba position. But he's got to treat that portfolio as if it's as if not everybody else has a big holding in Berkshire and other things like that. Run. Charlie Munger doesn't have to do shit. You and I That's might true. have to treat it a certain way. Charlie doesn't have to do anything. Twelve to thirteen percent is like that's not that's not crazy. That's that's modest, isn't it? It's not. Mo- I mean, it's immodest, but it's uh, it's it's not it's not lunacy relative to how he used to run a book. It's very tame. Mm. Do you think? Wh- when do you think that sort starter, of uh, starter position? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> still, still reading the filings. Toehold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess he was like 80%. Or he was like, that's right. He went, he went more than 100% in something, right? He, he'd leave it up to buy it. Yeah. He's a monster. He doesn't mind the volatility in the portfolio. No. It's why, one reason why I have such respect for Mike Mitchell. Same, same type of guy. Lee Lu sold out of Alibaba. I don't ago. believe it. Fake news. Lilu does not own Baba. That's from two different people. Trevor Scott Uh-oh. Title. How are you? There you go. Well, Scott may know. Yeah. Who was that? Trevor Scott. Oh, Trevor Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Higgins yeah. also. Lilu sold right. out of Alibaba a few years ago. Well, I'll believe him. My boys. Munger fading Lilu. Ooh, I like this setup. What if he bought shares from... Lee Lu, and but they didn't know they were on the either side Ooh. of the transaction. Eskimo brothers, <laughs> excuse you, uh, in the stock market. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This goes to show you how much I follow this stuff. I, I just simply don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't care what other people are doing. I don't really care what Charlie's. You don't doing. care what Charlie's doing. Um, I care more about uh, given how infrequently he trades and that man's track record. You don't. And when he buys something, you don't think maybe I should own a little bit of that. No, I you don't. don't have to say I really, own, but I'll look at it. I think is a yeah, very reasonable response. Yeah. yeah, I I I don't take that takeaway. I I really did like the purchase, and I think that it's a great. I I think Baba. Uh, I hope it works because I hope it's one of Charlie's very last lessons to give to people, and I hope that he's successful because Charlie Munger is the G, and he deserves more success because he is. But I, I don't have any better view on Baba than I had before he bought it. And 
every time I've ever been like, oh, I should look at this because this person bought it. I've got my ass kicked. So I'm just kind of done with that. I, I hope think- it works more from uh, if it doesn't work. Some of the reasons that it doesn't work would probably be bad for humanity. Yeah, I don't know. Zagabog says uh, cobalt and coal generated electricity are used in refining petroleum. There's just no escaping it. There you go. Um, Charlie Munger for life advice. Uh, Warren Buffett for investment advice. Fair. Uh, If you give me those two, sure. I'd probably go elsewhere for both uh, life advice. It's a false choice, but it's a podcast. So there you go. I, I mean, Munger's the man. Charlie Munger's got to figure it out. You just find some really smart guy giving all your money and then go to the beach. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I guess the only reason that I reacted that way is if I had the wealth that Charlie had, and I really don't mean this disrespectfully. I you wouldn't be buying Charlie. Alibaba. No, I would have spent more time with my children. I wouldn't, my children would not know me as a guy that had a book in front of me all the time. I, that's fundamentally not what I would do with my time. So to then rely on that guy. Okay. But that's selfish. Like if you're just walking around, not paying attention to your kids, doing what you want to do all the time, I don't deem that great life advice. Now, did he pick up good nuggets? Sure. Might he be someone to learn from what he's saying? Sure. But like, you know, I don't know. What, what do you look at? Do you look at what people say or what they do? To me, I think I would live a different way. The irony of that, dichotomy of that false choice is that both of them are telling you the same lesson, which is to really think for yourself. Live your own life. I would argue that both of them in their older age have argued to spend more time with your kids. And some of the irony of people praying at that altar and going to them to ask that question, they're giving you the answer that's not going to lead you to that altar because you can't spend that much more time with your family and get what they got because they gave their entire life to it. But uh, I just think there's maybe other people outside of finance that you should go to for life advice, like the homie Oprah or the home girl, I guess. Thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. But my kids don't know anything about, they don't want to talk deep value with me. So I got to come on this too bad. You're not in the mood. You get in the mood. (laughs) All right, amigos, that's time. This was fun. Uh, I think we're, we, we might be, I think we're on next week. Next yeah. week's going to be tough for me. But we might be, we might be, we'll see. Prevailing what's on Mike, Mike Mitchell, Mitchell doing? We might be prevailing on Mike. We'll see. We I did, this Mike's got board meetings. I don't know if he can talk lumber anymore. He might be conflicted out. Uh,